Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so Hope just gave their brake line a massive overhaul with the new Tech 4 lever assembly. And so we sat down with their design engineer, Sam Gibbs, to talk about the new line including all of the changes that they made from the outgoing Tech 3 version. And along the way, we get pretty often the details about the finer points of brake design, including all of the trade-offs that are inherent to each little decision that gets made in designing a brake, and how Hope tests and thinks about which brakes ought to be for what sort of rider, choosing rotor sizes and pad materials, and a whole bunch more. And this episode is brought to you by Fanatic, our blister-recommended bike shop in Bellingham, Washington, who are currently taking pre-orders for the new Hope Tech 4 line. So if you are interested in getting some of the brakes, head over to fanaticbike.com or check them out at their shop in downtown Bellingham for Hope brakes and everything else mountain bike related that you might need. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Sam. Well, Sam, thanks for taking the time to chat today. How are you today and where are you today? Well, good to speak to you too, David. Um, I am in the Hope factory just at the moment. So sat right above the uh, the main machine shop in Barnoldswick in the north of England. Yeah, I can hear the drone of the machines from here. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of right in the thick of it there. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So we're kind of here to talk about a lot of things hope breaks and both the new tech four stuff that you released fairly recently and then do a bit of a dive into just mountain bike brake design and tech more generally speaking so to kick that off how about you tell us just a little bit about your role at hope kind of what you do there how long you've been with the company and so on yeah okay so my role here is a design engineer so it basically involves uh designing and testing new products and also looking at uh, existing products and how we can improve them uh, from a, a product uh, like function perspective but also from a from a manufacturing perspective as well because uh, we do all our own manufacturing here as well which is uh, kind of almost well it's not unique in the bike industry but it's it's rare for sure um I've been with the company about 11 years now, so I'm one of the new guys. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of long-standing employees here, but it's uh, it's still a still a family-run uh, business, so it's quite nice in, in, in that respect. Uh, everybody knows everybody, so that's good. Yeah, that's cool. And then are you primarily working on breaks in that capacity or you kind of have some fingers in all the pies for the whole product line or yeah not necessarily so we don't really pigeonhole ourselves like that it's um i've worked on breaks in the past and and then on the tech 4 project uh, there's um a colleague Guillaume and then another sam and then myself who's really taken that project forward um so we formed a, a little group to work on it and there's there's six designers all together um, and we we tend to mix it up depending on how we feel, what we want to work on, what we're passionate about, um, and let everyone uh, get experience of all aspects of of the products that we do. So, yeah, yeah, good way to do things. So, 
on that note, you've just mentioned the new Tech 4 lineup. Can you kind of run us through at high level the model lineup, what the, the, the options are, kind of how you have each of the uh, three main brakes in there kind of slotted in? Yeah, so if we look at the full range of brakes, we actually... Well, I'll just I'll add it in, but we we do an XCR break as well. So if we kind of start with kind of the most uh, cross country orientated break that we do, um, we start with the XCR, uh, which is on an X2 caliper, um, and that's really just uh, the the emphasis there is is on lightweight, um, coupled with maintaining serviceability, reliability. Um, what I mean by that is. We don't go to to the extents of making using M2 bolts and and crazy things that just make it a nightmare to use out in the field. Um, so that's our most XC orientated brake. Then we move on to the Tech Four. So all the Tech Four range, the the master cylinder changes, and then we we use different calipers on that master cylinder. And the the prioritization really is more on usability. Um, a bit more power, uh, durability, uh, ease of use, and ease of servicing as well. Um, and then, so we then do a Tech Four X Two. So that's a Tech Four master cylinder, and it's paired with a what we call the X Two caliper, which is a two piston, uh, quite a small caliper, uh, opposed piston caliper. Right. So. That's kind of the more XC oriented, smaller, lighter duty bit. Yeah, so that's that's aimed at your XC rider or potentially trail use, but that that depends a bit on what you might expect from a brake and also your your weight mainly, the whole sort of weight of your the rider plus the bike. Um, so there's there's quite a bit of crossover between between functions, really. Yeah, we'll we'll get a bit deeper into kind of what how you think about choosing a break for a given rider in the trails there in a minute here um but then so yeah next step up in the line would be the e4 and now up to a four piston caliper yeah e4 so we then step up um we step up in power um and we also move to a four piston caliper so four two two and two with opposing pistons um all 16 mil pistons and that's really aimed at more your trail rider um in some cases it can be used for for harder use as that than that we do have people using it for enduro and stuff but it's it's not really its primary uh that's not who it's it's generally aimed at but it, if you're a lighter rider and and you want a certain uh, characteristics like your brake it can be used for that um and then the the final caliper in the range or the final brake is the Tech 4 V4 uh, so the V4 is still a four-piston caliper, but it's uh, got a quite a dramatically increased uh, piston surface area. So it's it's a big step up in power. Um, the the X2 and the E4 aren't massively different in power. Uh, there's probably less than ten percent increase, but when you jump to the V4, you you're getting up to kind of twenty-five percent increase in power from from the X2 anyway. Um, and that brake really is our enduro downhill, just a, a heavy use uh, caliper and brake. Yeah, yeah. So I've been spending quite a bit of time on the Tech Four V4s, and we'll chat about those more in a little, little bit here. But uh, so across the line, 
generally speaking, the major update to the Tech 4 from the Tech 3, rather, is in the lever master cylinder assembly. So that's been quite dramatically redone, frankly, sort of just started from scratch, more or less. So yeah, take us through kind of what the design goals were for the Tech 4 lever and what you wanted to update from the V, or I'm sorry, from the Tech 3 and what you changed to get there. Yeah, okay. So the first thing we're looking for is a boost in power, basically. Um, it's one of the main objectives. Uh, the Tech 3 brake, we actually launched that in 2014. So it's seven, eight years old by the time we move into to Tech 4. And in that time, bikes have generally got heavier, wheels have got bigger, uh, riding styles have changed, we're riding more aggressively, steeper tracks. Um, so to to keep in line with that, we, we need more power from the brake. Um, and then I was going to say, we, we spent a lot of time looking at get, gathering our own riding data. So people in the factory here are sponsored athletes, etc. cetera. Um, just trying to work out exactly how people ride, um, what kind of lever forces they're putting in, what the, the maximum torque they're actually managing to achieve when they're riding on different tracks and stuff. Um, so that gave us a really good idea of what we wanted to aim for. So we've, we have a, a kind of maximum... A torque that we hope to achieve out the brake and we know what what lever force we actually want to be putting on that to achieve that torque so we we can reduce fatigue when you're riding so we basically i like to look at it that we've for the same amount of performance you're having to pull up less hard on the brake than you are over a tech three rather than the out rather than the outright outright power but that that's what it is but Ultimately, you have a there's a limit to the torque that you can ever get out. Actually, apply onto a brake when you're riding. So no, absolutely. I mean, you you can sort of always theoretically get more power out of a brake if you squeeze it harder, but in practical terms, that's got some limits. Yeah, it does exactly. Yeah, maybe maybe if you're uh, yeah riding down a road in perfect conditions and stuff, you can achieve a, a higher torque. But in reality, it's. Uh, it's not really the case, and most most braking events uh, are actually just shaving speed off rather than actually really slowing down, and they're the most kind of critical kind of braking events that we're that we're focused on. Really, tell us a little bit more about that testing you were doing. You talked about doing some things to measure kind of the brake force that the rider is applying at the lever, and working out what torque you needed from the brake at the wheel to do all these things. What were you? doing for instrumentation there kind of how'd you go through all that stuff yeah so we have we have a few bikes set up and um on those bikes we have uh, a, a method of measuring the the brake torque via a special brake adapter which has a strain gauge built into it so we can actually measure the direct torque that's been applied on the brake um and we also have it rigged up with uh, the brake with inline brake pressure sensors so we know what inline pressure we're achieving. And when we correlate that to our dyno data, we know exactly what lever force uh, a, a rider is applying. So it's um, we can get a lot of data, basically, and it's it varies a lot. But you can start to pick uh, sort of common patterns in things. and That makes sense. And like you just alluded to, I can imagine that that's, relatively easy to collect i guess and a bit harder to make sense of because what kind of stuff were you doing to sort of 
you, you know, you have this information on how hard someone's breaking, but then kind of trying to correlate that to what they're actually doing on track and kind of the rest. Cause I can imagine sort of having some understanding of how they were trying to break when you're looking at the little piece of data and saying like this breaking event, they were, you know, knowing where they were on trail, what was happening there. Or, I don't know. I'm just curious how you go through all that. It's very tricky. Actually. Um, we did a lot of, uh, things where we would ride the same track with different people so we could sort of lay over the data and try and work out we knew exactly the corner that they were coming into what the surface was like um so we kind of had an idea of of yeah of of some of the variables you could take out of it if you just if you just went on any track and just got a load of data it would be almost meaningless um it'd be very hard to pick apart uh so yeah you can you can start to look at um how you breaking on tarmac, say, how you breaking on loose gravel, how you breaking on mud, um, and all sorts of different different things, and and then yeah, you've got the different rider, uh, how people ride in there as well. Some people use the back brake more, some people use the front brake more. Some people are going faster, so they they brake harder, or they brake less because they're going faster. There's there's all those variables you have to try and uh, pick apart basically. Um, but but ultimately you can you can come up with an idea of of what you think is a good is a good aim for your break so so what you want that to be what you want your lever force to be and 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 what torque you can actually achieve in a varied riding conditions so yeah okay that makes sense and so I mean you talked a bit about increasing power being one of the major goals for the tech four so what specifically did you go about changing in the lever to accomplish that quite a few things uh, it's it's worth saying as well like when we when we talk about uh increasing the power we also had things that we wanted to to keep so we wanted kind of the minimum increase in lever throw and we also wanted to try and keep a a reasonable feel to the brake so you can actually control we didn't want a really really spongy bite point um and these things, I'm sure we're going to talk about these things, but it's it's the, the devil's in the detail with these things. Um, so yeah, so it's worth saying that. But uh, in terms of actually increasing the power of the brake, um, we've increased the hydraulic ratio of the brake. So the master cylinder bore, we dropped from 10 mil on the Tech 3. We dropped to 9.5 mil on the Tech 4. Um, so percentage area-wise... I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but it's 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 more than you'd think it'd be because it's like it's like twelve percent or something off the top of my head. Yeah, so, something like that. Since you're squaring the the radius, it adds up pretty fast. Yeah, it's, it's yeah exactly yeah. Um, and then we've also increased the mechanical ratio. So we've the overall ratio of the brake is a combination of the hydraulic ratio from the from the hydraulic system. Um, and then the mechanical ratio from actually how long your lever blade is versus the, your cam throw. So we've increased that by increasing the lever length by five millimeters. So the point where you're applying the force is, is further away. So that gives you an increased mechanical ratio. And the balance is there partly because it improves having a slightly longer lever, improve the ergonomics of the brake a bit, especially when we're looking at modern shifters and e-bikes with extra controls and things so actually moving the whole brake inboard was was beneficial um 
So yeah, it's a com- combination of both. We haven't just gone full hydraulic ratio, basically. Right. Um, okay. And then the the other things we worked on is we worked a lot on it, improving the feel of the lever itself. So with a new pivot design uh, that runs on roller bearings, we've we've got rid of any free play in the system and made it a much smoother lever feel. Um, we've also reduced the um, the friction of the seals that are running up and down the bore um, and put a PTFE bushing in there. And it all just helps to give a much smoother lever feel, um, which just helps when you're when you're actually using the brake, you can you can feel everything coming back from the caliper um, more immediately than you can if you've got play in the in the lever and it's it's rough moving up and down. It just all helps. As you alluded to, we'll get into this a bit more, but there are kind of heap of trade offs that have to go into deciding just how much leverage you want because you're basically effectively trading off power for lever throw and sponginess and stuff, and it's just a fine dance to kind of walk the tightrope there it is you want to try and you want to try and uh, if you just tried to make the most powerful brake you could you could make it pretty much infinitely powerful but it'd be terrible to you so it's it's a fine line of getting just the right amount of power and, and no more than you think you really need because of the trade-offs in, in getting that extra power so yep so before we go into sort of the more theoretical brake tech stuff like that Talk about the calipers. They don't get as dramatic an overhaul as the lever end of things, but there's still some tweaks in there too. Uh, there are. So the calipers, we we found little area to improve, really. Um, our calipers have always been a one-piece machine caliper. So from a from a stiffness point of view, they've they've always been uh, better, we feel, than, than a lot of calipers out there on the market. Um so we, we generally get a little bit less flex in the caliper, which really helps with brake feel. Um, one thing we did is we've moved to stainless steel pistons uh, with phenolic inserts. So probably 20 years ago, we used to use stainless steel pistons in our brakes. And they were excellent for providing um, smooth movement of the piston. Um, and they also don't require much maintenance. Uh, they, they move freer and smoother for longer. And the downside to them is they're not as good at managing heat, maybe. So they don't insulate the heat from the, the pad and disc from getting into the caliper and into the fluid. Um, so when we went to the, the Tech 3 brakes, we moved to phenolic pistons, which uh, that that resin is incredibly good at insulating so it, it's, it really stops the brake temperature, so the, the oil temperature is getting high. Uh, one of the downsides to them is they, they require more maintenance. So you've, you've got to really make sure you keep on top of maintenance with them. You've got to keep the pistons lubed. Um, otherwise, the surface can get quite sticky. And what happens then is the, uh, the, if the seal sticks on the piston, it, it, that interaction between the seal and the piston has a massive influence on piston retraction, which is really governing how much lever throw you have at the lever. So with a phenolic piston, if you don't keep on top of it, um, you can end up with a lot more caliper piston retraction and a lot more lever travel. And that's fine, but on a Tech 4, where we're increasing the ratios of the master cylinder quite a lot, it makes it a lot more sensitive to, to differences in piston retraction. 
And that's the main reason for us moving to stainless pistons, that you get a much more consistent uh, piston retraction throughout the life of the brake, even if you don't maintain it. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's critical to the way the brake works, basically. Yeah, so sort of to clarify for folks listening here, the new pistons in the Tech 4 have essentially a stainless steel outer sleeve with phenolic center so you have the harder stainless surface on the sliding surface of the piston but then the main volume of it's made up of phenolic resin so that it's more insulative yeah and so when you're talking about the full phenolic pistons needing more maintenance what kind of work are you talking about what would the procedure be for dealing with them well we'd recommend on our on our tech three sort of Maybe every every few rides, um, it would require the the pistons to be to be pushed out, so the the pads to be removed from the caliper, and then something put in the caliper. You can use the disc or something else. Stop the pistons coming all the way out. Uh, pump the pistons out so you can see them and actually lubricate them with a with a silicon lubricant, and then work them back and forward just to make sure that 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 surface is always lubricated because the fluid from the brake doesn't really transmit out through the seal and, and keep it lubricated. And in, in, in that sense, the, if, you, if you keep them lubricated and, and maintained, there's, there's no problem with phenolic pistons, but the reality of it is that very few people do this. Um, so if your brake starts, starts feeling bad over time, um, they assume something else is wrong, where it's just routine maintenance you need to do. Um, but yeah, with a, with a Tech 4, it's... It's nowhere near as much of a problem, and we we spent a lot of time looking at the sort of getting the surface finish of the pistons and the the interaction between the seal and the piston, like just right, so we get just the right amount of piston retraction to allow us to to increase that that brake uh, ratio without causing loads of problems, basically. Yeah, so that's a pretty good segue into what I was going to ask next, which is sort of just to talk about these trade offs in a bit more detail because brakes are at least conceptually, not terribly complicated for the most part. But then, like you've been saying, there's so many little fine details and everything comes with a pretty clear trade-off. And so sort of striking the right balance for what you're hoping to achieve is a matter of making kind of walking a fairly fine line, really. So as we've been sort of dancing around, you can make a break as immensely powerful as you want by increasing whatever combination of the hydraulic and mechanical leverage ratio. It's kind of really all a brake is at its core. It's a device to just increase leverage from your hands and squeeze something else with it. But all of those things that you would do, like, for example, as we've been talking about, you can increase the piston area in the caliper. You can decrease the master cylinder area. You can increase the length of the lever blade to get more mechanical leverage there. But then anything you do there is going to increase the free stroke and or kind of make the bite point a bit spongier and so how do you sort of when you're setting out to design a new brake how do you come up with the parameters that you are going to shoot for in those cases and kind of what how do you think about what is acceptable in terms of those trade-offs yeah good question <laughs> i think with uh, with the tech four we we had an aim with the tech comparing it to tech three so we knew certainly with lever throw we didn't want to actually increase the lever throw at all over the tech three um 
And I think we've actually managed to reduce it a little bit, actually, um, over the Tech 3, despite despite increasing the ratios. And it's it's the fine detail here that really <laughs> that really makes the difference. Um, so I'd say that not all power increases necessarily come from uh, increasing the ratio of the brake. There are other things which, which can affect it. Um, and that's the first thing we sort of go about. We, we go through the brake and try and make sure everything is, is as good as it can be before we start looking at actually increasing the ratio. Um, so here we're talking about, uh, say, stiffness of the caliper, um, stiffness of the lever blade itself, um, the the perch, the how the how the caliper, how the mass cylinder attaches to the lever, sort of reducing flex there. Um, the disc, so kind of reducing flex in the disc, which is quite important. Um, and uh, hose as well, um, brake hose is important. It can a bad brake hose can completely ruin the feel of a brake. Um, and then there's pad compounds, so can get depending on what pad compound you can completely change how a brake performs uh people have this habit of buying a nice brake and then buying the cheapest pads they can find and it's just it's crazy but uh you know people spend a lot of time making sure that the pad compound that they uh, that they supply with the brake is is suited well to the brake um and if you put something else in there it's uh it's not what was intended anyway um so yeah, so we we go through the brake and and try and make sure all those things are are as good as they can be. And if they are, and we still need more power, then we're going to have to look at increasing ratios, which is where we ended up with a Tech Four. Um, so yeah, on on the Tech Four, basically the the we really looked at the the pivot area of the master cylinder because we felt as though we were getting a lot of extra throw in the lever through there because we we were running on a bushing which had play in it especially over time um and because of that we we couldn't necessarily run our when when the brake pressurizes the the primary seal has to come past a, a timing port in the in the master cylinder and that is critical to the throw of the of the brake, and the closer you can get that, the better, because it reduces the the lever throw. Um, by moving to a new pivot, we've taken out all the play, and we can really push the boundary of how close we're getting that seal to that timing port. Um, so that was a really important thing for us to do. We've also looked at the uh, the caliper pistons we talked about before, so the the interface between the the, the piston and the seal making sure that just gives us exactly the right amount of retraction because uh, that has a big effect on lever throw as well. Um, and then for the actual bite point, so whether you get a spongy lever feel or not, we, we've spent a lot of time messing about with our primary seal flex. So if you it's, – it's, it's another trade-off, but if you, if, you can, if you can reduce the flex in the primary seal, potentially you can – you can improve the bite point and make it feel less spongy, but you don't want to reduce it so much that if the steel becomes really stiff, um, you have a lot more problems sealing the seal to the bore and you, you're much more likely to, to have problems down the line with leaks and it won't necessarily activate very well under under low pressures, um, which is where you do most of your braking. So quite, quite gentle lever pulls, you want to make sure the seal activates with hardly any pressure whatsoever. And the softer the seal is, the better for that. 
but the firmer the seal is, the better it is for lever feel. So it's, it's all a trade-off, but it's all those sorts of things that we're looking at. That's a really interesting detail that I hadn't thought about too much. And to be clear, we're talking about the primary seal in the master cylinder, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it's something we worked quite a lot on on the Tech 4. The, the other thing to note as well is I think we um, we sort of changed our perceptions of what an acceptable amount of sponginess, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to put your finger on, but uh, is acceptable in a brake because if you, if you just pull a brake in a car park, it might feel spongy, but when you ride it, it feels completely different because the power phases in in a different way. So I think we could we found we could get away with more sponginess than we originally thought we could. Yeah, that 100% checks out. Like I said, I've been spending a bunch of time on the V4s and if you're just sitting in the car park and hauling on the brake, you can you can squeeze just so much harder there than you ever actually do in practice on trail and they can feel a little bit spongy in that scenario, but it feels a lot better on trail because you're just never actually squeezing them that hard. That's it. If you get if you're gonna pull with enough force to get the lever to sort of flex back towards the bar, I mean you, your wheel will have locked up way before you ever manage to get that force on it. So it's uh and actually that, that little bit of sponginess on a very powerful brake, I think it, it actually helps a little bit. It's the the power doesn't maybe come in quite as quickly and it it actually helps you modulate the brake a little bit. Um, so we found it was maybe an advantage to have a little bit of sponginess there compared to our Tech 3. So Yeah, I think that actually kind of makes sense. Uh, even as someone who tends to like a pretty firm, well-defined bite point, the V4s, I think, yeah, feel maybe slightly suspect in the parking lot if you're just really hauling on them, but on trail, they actually feel quite good. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. They, they they definitely feel fairly solid when you actually ride them, and uh, but then that's that's all down to the other things we talked about before. Is the the stiffness of everything else helps you control that that bite point more. If everything was moving about and flexing, it'd be it'd be a nightmare. And I think the the critical thing is the the consistency of of how the brake works. If it always does the same thing every time you pull the lever, you'll soon get used to it. Um, if it's doing something different every time you pull, you, you, it's going to be a nightmare. So Yes. <laughs> there are some other brakes out there where that is routinely an issue, and it is, it's really hard to work mm. with, uh, especially if you're trying to really ride fast and brake late and kind of be on the, on the edge there. Just not having the consistency and not knowing what you're going to get when you take a stab at the brakes is not a good time. One thing we've really sort of always we've always had this opinion, but it's it's become more critical with the Tech Four is we always want a brake that is has a linear relationship between how hard you pull the lever and how how much brake pressure you get from it. Um, there are a lot of brakes where the it, it, it's a non-linear relationship, so potentially you uh, you might get a slightly reduced lever throw. Um, but the the problem with those is if anything varies in the system, so we we're talking about piston retraction before, um, it's very very sensitive to that. So any any slight change in the system and your bite point can be wandering all over the place. Um, so yeah, we've always felt as though that that linear relationship is uh, is critical to actually using the brake and getting the best from it. So 
And I guess actually on that note of piston retraction, you mentioned earlier that you, if anything, slightly decreased the free stroke compared to the Tech 3 just by increasing the leverage ratio a bit. Did you get all of that out of the just little refinements in the lever to get rid of play and whatnot? Or did you reduce the piston rollback at all to compensate? No, we've uh, we've kept the, the piston retraction exactly the same. So we always aim for, we aim for 0.15. Uh, millimeter piston retraction um, which we think gives a good balance between uh, limiting the throw and actually being able to get your brake so it doesn't rub um, and so everything we've done has been from the lever yeah so just just fine fine tuning the, the the lever pivot and the position of everything yeah okay cool I was honestly not sure what your answer was going to be there but that's cool so to transition here back to the line a little bit so we've, we've kind of laid out the three models in the Tech 4 range plus the, the XCR, which uses a different lever entirely. How do you go about advising people on which brake model they ought to be opting for? You know, if you, someone shows up and say, hi, I'd like some new Hope brakes for my bike, what are you asking them as the first questions to sort that out? During Tech 4 development, certainly when we were looking to bring it out, we realized we were pretty poor with this kind of information. And... Uh, even internally, we weren't really sure how, how we advise people and a lot of people were ending up with the wrong brake. So we put a bit of effort into doing a new guide. We've got a, a new brake selector guide, um, which is on our website. And the the main things we're looking at are the um, the combined weight of the, of the rider plus the bike um, and also how how you how you ride the bike if you're riding really fast and aggressively or if you're riding slowly so it's 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 kind of a combination of the of those things so we have a chart which basically looks at your across the top it's got the um the use you want to the type sort of type of riding the use so it's like xc uh, trail enduro downhill etc um and then on that, you've then got bands of weight. So for each brake, there's bands of weight. Um, and within those bands, there's disc rotor size, which is another thing which plays into it as well. Um, but basically from that, it gives a quick overview of the, the brake that you should be on. It's, it's, it's not a definitive, this is the brake should have, but it gives people a really good start to say, right, no, I, I definitely need this brake or I definitely need that brake. And some people will be in the overlap, in which case it gets a little bit more complicated and we can sort of advise from there. But that's that's how we're trying to go about it anyway. Yeah, that guide's a handy starting point, at least, if, like you said, not necessarily a truly definitive answer. But so I guess I'd be curious for your thoughts on the trade-offs between breaks sort of more generally not even necessarily strictly relating to the current hope line but sort of moving up through your line going from the e4 to the v4 for example you are gaining a little bit of weight adding a bit of power how do you generally view that trade-off in terms of i mean saving weight where you can is great but then how do you think about kind of like, at what point does just having a bit of extra power that you're not using become truly overkill to the point that it's detrimental? Or how do you think about those sort of things? I think generally we would say that um, 
if if you're anywhere thinking about your between breaks, we would always go for the more powerful break um, because uh, a, a more powerful break can always do less, but a, a less powerful break can never do more. So, and the 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 dangers of being underbraked are a lot higher than being overbraked. So there is definitely a trend these days for for people to want the most powerful break they can get their hands on, which which is fine. And it's I don't think there's any major problems with that. Um, but there are some pitfalls which people sort of should be aware of. And the first one is if your if your break is is so powerful that it actually becomes hard to use. So if you're riding in low traction areas and stuff, if your brake's just so powerful, it's going to be really hard to modulate that power and you're going to lock the wheels up a lot and it's actually going to be detrimental to your riding. Um, and the the other point is that if you get to the point where you're so massively overbraked, which it can happen, um, everything is designed to work within a temperature window. And if you if you don't actually get things up to temperature, especially pads, and discs, um, they'll just never bed in properly, and you'll never get the friction uh, coefficients out of the brake. And actually, you could end up in a situation where, although you've got a more powerful brake, um, you've actually got less power than if you had the lower power brake. Um, generally, as brakes get more powerful, um, they also have more capacity to dissipate heat, um, and it's heat we're really talking about here. If you if you just don't generate any heat within your brake, um, it's just never going to work properly. But I, I do think with kind of modern pad compounds, it, it's very dependent on pad compound. That if you if you use a, a kind of resin or organic pad, it's much less of an issue because they, den- they tend to work at lower temperatures quite well. If you go to a semi-metallic or centered pad, it's it can be it can be a nightmare. You you go for much more powerful brake, but actually you get far less performance out of it. Um, so as, as anything, it's a it's a bit of a compromise. But as a general rule, um, go for the more powerful one. That's pretty much my take too. There's definitely you can overdo it, but when in doubt, just go up. You're you can you can not squeeze it as hard. And something that I've been thinking about a bunch. I've been testing, doing kind of some uh, brake pad and rotor size testing on a few different bikes of late, and. I really think there is something to the idea that within reason, there are limits to this like anything, but having a more powerful brake that you can just not squeeze as hard is pretty beneficial from just a hand fatigue. uh, And in some ways a control perspective too, because even so, you know, you have a a lesser brake that you are squeezing super hard and you may very well be getting all of the power that you need out of that. But if you can have a bit more brake and just not squeeze it quite as hard, you actually can often have better control over it if you're not having to really be pulling as hard as you can to get what you need out of the brake. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Really, it's uh, especially longer runs when you get to the bottom of a run. If you're if you're not your hands aren't fatigued in the same way, you're going to have better control of everything, not just your your braking. So uh, yeah, I think that's a, a fair comment. And then I guess to keep keep this going, then. It's sort of a similar situation with rotor size, right? You're, but how do you think about advising people on that front? Well, rotor size, yeah, it is the same situation. So a, a bigger rotor will dissipate more heat. So the danger if you go too big for your use is um, that you just don't generate the heat required. But again, it's it's so much less of a risk than 
than being under brake. So if you if you have a one forty mil rotor on on your bike and you're constantly dragging that brake, it's going to overheat really really quickly because it doesn't have the capacity to get rid of that heat, um, and that is that that's a major problem. Um, we we have uh, for each brake we we recommend a rotor size and. 90% of the time that should be fine for everybody. Um, I, I can, I can understand the situation where you have a break and you feel like it's, it's not just powerful enough. Um, and you don't want to buy a new brake, So you, you want to increase rotor size, which I, I think is absolutely valid. Um, it's, it's just bearing in mind the things that we, that we've already talked about. Um, but we do rotor sizes from 140 mil, right up to 220 mil and we've done those for for at least a decade so there's a there's a trend now to to offer bigger rotor sizes but it's it's something that we've always done anyway um specifically for just for hard use for well it originally started with tandems just the amount of heat that a tandem would generate um and the the bigger rotor just really helped to get rid of that well and you touched on this earlier too but the proliferation of 29er wheels is unhelpful from a braking perspective it's sort of doing the opposite thing as increasing a rotor size you're basically you're spinning the rotor less quickly through the brake at a given speed and therefore less potential for it to do work yeah to to keep the same kind of uh, ratio from a say a 200 rotor on a on a 27 and a half wheel you're gonna have to go up in rotor size to get the same braking power on a 29 inch wheel and it's really become a thing with 29-inch downhill bikes, really. that's uh, Everyone started to do these larger rotors, but they, they can be useful for for people with, you know, who, who aren't riding downhill bikes. If um, The one situation I like to think of is, is if you you prefer a brake with a, with a more, like, defined bike point, but you want more power, in which case, if you put a bigger rotor on there, um, you're going to keep the feel of the brake exactly the same, but you're going to get more power out of it, which might be great for some people. As long as you're working that that brake hard enough and riding hard enough to to generate some heat, then you're not going to have a problem with that. Um, and it can be a really good way, especially if you're between between brakes. You think, oh, I don't know whether I want a V4 or an E4. You know, you can go for the smaller brake, but but up the the rotor size. So all these things come into it, and I guess you just got to try it. <laughs> Yeah, no, there are certainly a lot of variables to play with there. And then to add another one into the mix here, you already talked about brake pads a little bit, and you've got some new offerings on that front across the, the line as well. So what are you doing for brake pads in these brakes and kind of step us through the various options that you offer these days? So with with the Tech 4 brake and the development of the Tech 4 um we felt as though we needed to add an extra pad compound to our range. Um, so I'll run through all the pad compounds that we take that we that we offer. But um, the the one which we we've added is really the start of the range. Is we call it a racing green compound pad. Um, and the idea with this is it comes back to this idea that a lot of people are are going bigger on the brakes, and they're not potentially generating that much heat with the brake um, because they're not working the brake that hard and our existing pad compounds we didn't feel we're offering the friction properties we want when they're operating at these really low temperatures um, 
and the the racing green pad is is designed just for that they they offer really high friction properties even at low temperatures and straight out of the box that they'll bed in really quick um basically it hardly requires any heat to actually deposit some pad material onto the disc and bed in so you within even if you don't bed it in not that i'm saying you shouldn't you should uh but even after just just one run, the the brakes are already up to power, and it doesn't really doesn't really suffer from not being bedded in correctly. Um, what we found is most people don't tend to bed the pads and discs incorrectly. Um, you hear all these stories like I've just put brand new discs on my bike and brand new sintered pads, and I've just done this downhill run and have absolutely no power. And you think, well, yeah, you won't have any power because you've 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 not actually bedded the the pad in whatsoever. Um, so that, that was really to, it's one, it's, it's the highest friction pad we can offer. So the brake performance is, is better. Um, but also it's when you, when you get a new brake and you potentially on new pads, new rotors, it will just help to, to bed the padding and the disc in nicely so that if you then change the pads later, it's, uh, everything's bedded in already so that was the idea with it it's sort of an out of the box uh pad really yeah and those are what are coming installed in the v4s at least yeah so all the brakes now are coming with those installed so you get just you know like very good power straight out of the box i think it's an area where potentially people got the wrong impression about our brakes very early on because they they weren't necessarily uh fully getting the pads and discs to the to the kind of optimal performance maybe right well tell us more on that so what would be your recommended bed-in procedure for a new set of pads and rotors we always say you um if you find a a a gentle downhill slope um, and let the bike roll down it not not too fast um you need to pull the brake for a short period of time and then let the brake off and that'll allow that'll put some heat into the pads, but not too much. Um, and then letting go then allows everything to cool down. And then just repeated applications of of short bursts. Um, what you want to avoid is is dragging the brake on because that'll generate too much heat on a new pad. You you, you basically just want to dispo- deposit some pad material onto the disc um, without getting everything way too hot. Um, because the the friction properties straight out of the box won't be amazing. So if you're if you ask a lot of that pad and disc straight away, you're going to have to pull the brake really hard, and you're going to get everything really quite red hot fairly quickly, and you can end up with glazed pads, and and then you're you're in a bit of a nightmare then with your brake performance. So and sort of saying the the kind of the the softer the pad material, the less time it will take to to bed in. And generally, the the more durable the pad material, the longer it'll take to bed in. So, sintered pads, pads, for example, take a a lot of bedding. In some cases, you can never actually bed them in properly, (laughs) depending on how you use them. But they can be a pain on that front. And on those new green pads, do I have it right that those are uh, being made by Galfer? No, they're not a Galfer actually. Oh, oh, they're not? Okay. So the rest of our pads in the range are Galfer, um, but these pads aren't, and I can't say who they are made by, but... Okay, fair enough. They're not. Um, we wanted something that Galfer couldn't offer us at that time, basically. Okay. 
interesting well that's that's intriguing anyway i have i have been quite impressed with those so they've yeah they've been working quite well and doing a lot of what you were saying i personally really like them they they do they they work across the board as well they also work very well when when they're hot um because the the pad material it has no kind of ceramic elements in it it's it's very densely packed and it makes it just there's nowhere for gas to to get in to expand to cause brake fade so they're probably the, the the of all the pads we've ever tested they're the least susceptible to brake fade even at very high temperatures um the only downside we can see to them really is the durability which isn't great <laughs> but it's uh it's horses for courses as we say right yeah yeah indeed can't have everything all at once i am curious about that little bit you had in there about gases getting into the pad and expanding causing brake fade tell us more about that well generally brake fade is uh, is caused by um the when you when you apply the pads gas gets trapped um in the in the kind of pores of the of the material um and then as the uh, as the heat increases the the gas wants to expand and it actually pushes the uh, the pad material away from the disc with with a very a very strong force basically so it's uh, it actually yeah pushes away and reduces the friction um that's that's the main sort of the way that you do get brake fade there are other reasons but that's the sort of main main way it happens interesting okay you 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 can get brake fade from the actual material just getting so hot that it just can't handle it anymore, which does happen as well. So, huh? Well, learn something new every day. So back to the pad lineup. Then you've got those new green racing pads, but the brakes are shipping with a few other options as well. So to take us through the rest of the line. Yeah. So the brakes also come with our with our standard red compound pad, um, which is is a Galfa pad. Um, we feel these offer just a, a very good all-round uh, brake pad for all conditions, especially in the UK where we have a lot of a lot of rain. <laughs> um, they, they work well. It's like a semi-metallic pad, I would call it. Um, so it takes a little bit more bedding in. You you got to get them up to temperature, but once you have done that, um, they offer consistent performance. Um, yeah, despite what you can throw at them. Um, and they're very resistant to heat as well. You can get them very hot and not lose, not lose performance. So they've they've been a favorite part of ours for for a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. So comparing those to the greens, high level, maybe a little bit less initial bite out of the reds, but better durability, pretty good performance in the cold and wet in both. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think you probably. Like at, at lower temperatures, you're you're definitely down on on friction coefficient. At higher temperatures, you're down, but maybe not that not as much. Um, but the durability is is a lot better, um, especially in wet conditions because the metallic elements in there. It's it's not just going to shred itself to bits in five minutes. So yeah, so an all round a good all round pad is the way I'd I'd bill it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then after that, we then. Uh, we then offer the sintered pad. So this is a full metallic sintered pad. The beauty of sintered pads is they offer very consistent performance, especially in muddy conditions. It, you, you can't really beat them for that. Um, what I would say is a sintered pad for me personally isn't a, 
isn't an all-around pad. It's not something that you would generally use all year round. Um, I think there's a an idea that sintered pads offer you more power, um, but it, it's not true. They they tend to offer quite a reduced power, um, but they are they do give it very consistently, which in terms of deceleration time might not be uh, depending on the conditions you're going to end up with the same amount of braking um you know you're going to slow down just as quick but in terms of outright power and friction they're uh, they're nowhere near as good as a as kind of semi-metallic or organic compound but they will they will give you that performance pretty much no matter what the danger with synthpads which we kind of touched on before is if you if you're not working the brake hard enough you're never going to get the performance out of them and i think that's a trap quite a few people fall into um they uh yeah they just never get them bedded in properly and it ruins the performance of the brake yeah need to get them pretty hot and get them bedded in properly which can take a while the other other downside to them is they they have really no insulating properties so they transmit all the heat from the from the brake into the caliper so you might find your brake will will run a lot hotter with sintered pads um which is another reason why we don't really recommend them for for kind of good ideal dry conditions. Makes sense. How about the purple e-bike ones? Yeah, so they're they're a variation on the red pad basically. So you you're trading off your wet weather performance a little bit. Fair enough, yeah, and that makes sense just for a, an application where you've got a heavier total, well, heavier bike and just dumping a bit more heat in. Yeah, so heavier heavier bike, more more heat to get rid of. Um, if you do get the brake incredibly hot, it, it just has a bit more resistance to uh, to, to getting that hot, basically. Um, but they are they are very similar to the red pads, really. Okay, well that's a good rundown, and this has been pretty cool episode. A lot of information, both about the Tech Four line in general, and then just brakes in a whole bunch of facets with a lot of good stuff in it. So appreciate you taking the time to chat and sharing all that info with us. But before we wrap up, we do like to ask our guests if they have a big idea to share shows called bikes and big ideas after all so and this can be anything just off the wall serious silly truly anything goes here so do you have a big idea for us sam i'm not i'm not sure i have a a big idea but if i've got the opportunity i, I want to encourage people to to love the brakes <laughs> and actually take the time to maintain them um i think most of the problems that we that we see um, are down to uh, either a lack of maintenance or a, a, a kind of a misunderstanding of of, of the application of the brake. Um, I think people spend a lot of time cleaning the bikes. They spend a lot of time uh, maybe degreasing the drivetrain and tuning the gears, and then at the end of it, brakes other than a kind of quick look and see if there's any pad material left on them, that's it. They, they just get left alone and it's, they, they need maintaining too. And if you, if you want to get the best out of your, out of your brakes and also your riding, um, it's worth taking the time to, to learn a few basic maintenance techniques and actually give them the, the, uh, the attention that they deserve really. Um, it's, it's a critical thing. If you're, 
if your gears are, are slightly out of indexing, it's it's a minor inconvenience. But if your brakes don't work, you're going to know about it pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah, it's it's worth spending the time. So that absolutely counts. I've got a few tips for people. Um, one one thing we we see more than anything is if anybody has a a problem with the brakes, the first thing they do is they 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 think that the brake needs bleeding. Um, and that's the first thing they jump to, and it's very rarely the case. Um, even with with really hard use, um, you know, a year or two years maybe, they, they're not going to need bleed unless there's some other problem that co- that causes them to take in air that need that needs them to be to be bled. Um, the the generally the the main problems that occur are to do with setup. Um, and also to do with, uh, we're talking about uh, the piston retraction and things not being lubricated properly. Uh, that can have a massive effect on your brake. It can actually cause the lever to come back to the bars entirely um, if you don't keep your, your pistons moving freely and, and evenly uh, evenly pushing on the disc so they're all coming out the same amount and everything nicely aligned. So that's, that's really important. Um, and then we also say like, Every couple of rides, just have a look at the pads. Probably even take them out. Um, check for any signs of, of damage to the pads on the disc. Um, check for overheating of the disc. Generally, an overheated disc, it's going to have like a bluish kind of tinge to it because it's getting way too hot, which is a sign that there's there's something wrong with your pads or the brake just isn't powerful enough for, for what you're using it for, um, which could lead to, to, to big problems. Yeah, and then just generally check everything over. Check the brake lines. Make sure there's no leaks. Make sure everything moves freely on the on the lever. Um, yeah, and don't spray them with oil. That's a good one. Because we get a lot of people doing that as well. <laughs> what, brakes squeaking so they try to oil it down? Yeah, or they, they use kind of a light penetrating oil just to clean the bike, which is, uh, yeah. Oh, man. Don't do yeah, that. Yeah, don't do that. But generally, just uh, yeah, just give some time to your brakes, and they'll look after you. That's a good rundown and a good tip for everyone. <laughs> Sam, thanks. This has been a lot of fun. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat. No problem. Thank you. All right, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you're enjoying these episodes, then we'd really appreciate it if you take a quick minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Sam for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll talk to you again real soon.